Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Now we have some guests with us today, so um, in explanation of the uh, of the red couch, the the reason for that is we're using that as a uh, image for this series uh, entitled True Life. We've got some invite cards that I want to remind you, and I'll encourage you again at the invitation time to take that has that image. And the idea is inviting someone to come and be with us, um, and uh, having a place for them to uh, to be with us. Uh, we're about three weeks uh, today into this series that will last um, 12 weeks near the end of November. We started out talking about, um, is there such a thing as absolute truth? Because that's kind of foundational. If we're going to deal with a lot of the things we're dealing with in this series, uh, understanding that there is such a thing as absolute truth is necessary uh, for us. We went from there to uh, talking about, is there a God? And last week, uh, we looked at a lot of scientific evidence, along with biblical evidence, that point uh, more and more toward a creator. Uh, you know, years ago, uh, Charles Darwin came out with his theory. By the way, it is a theory. It's not proven fact. Um, but there have been a lot of advancements, as I mentioned last week, since his days that uh, point more and more toward God. It seems like the, the, the deeper science goes, the more science even points to the reality of a creator. And that's what we were dealing with uh, last week. This week, we're going to take kind of the next logical step in that line of argument, and that is whether or not Jesus is God. That's our topic today. Is Jesus God? And while we don't have scientific evidence, uh, we do have biblical evidence and there's some secular evidence, not necessarily scientific, but secular evidence. Uh, a lot of people question just, as I said last week, the Bible, you know, whether they believe the Bible or not. And that's why I want to give you some secular evidence. Jesus is just as real an historical figure as, uh, Plato or Julius Caesar or you and I, either one. Uh, and there's a lot of secular evidence that points to that. Two Roman emperors wrote about Jesus. Two major Roman historians wrote about Jesus. A Jewish historian, who, by the way, was not a Christian, Josephus, he wrote about Jesus just from the same, same standpoint as maybe a, an investigative journalist might write today as they were recording things and events that were taking place. He wrote a lot about Jesus. Uh, next slide. There are a lot of Jewish references in their sacred commentary on the Old Testament that refer to Jesus. Altogether, independent of the Bible, there are around 50 items of reference to Jesus, which, by the way, is a lot more than for some other figures in history that we don't doubt existed. And, and yet, some people want to doubt whether Jesus existed, and there's more historical evidence that he existed than even some other historical figures that some people don't argue about whether they were real or not. In the writings about Jesus, in the secular writings that I'm referring to, they, they referred to his teachings, they, they referred to uh, some of his miracles, to his public ministry, to his death and resurrection. And I think it's important to note that about 70% of those writings, those secular writings, talked about the death of Jesus. 
So in other words, it's, it's a proven historical fact that Jesus is real. The question, though, that we're looking at this morning, is Jesus God? And we're going to look in about three main areas of the life of Jesus, hopefully to give you some logical evidence that Jesus is God. I, I don't think God expects us never to use our logic. And today I'm going to encourage you to logically look at these things because it's not like the scientific evidence I gave you last week for there being a creator. But when we look at these things, all three main areas together, logically I think you're going to come away with the conclusion that yes, Jesus is God. The first area is this. We're going to look at the words of Jesus, what he said about himself, and also the words that others said about Jesus. So let's start out with words said by Jesus, because there are a lot of people uh, will say things like, well, Jesus never, ever said, I am God. And while Jesus did not use that phrase, I am God, in multiple ways, in many ways, Jesus claimed to be God. Now, you need to kind of keep your mind engaged this morning. And uh, uh, one, of, one of our deacons I noticed in the, in the first service, uh, Mike Griffey, every week Mike follows along and keeps up with scriptures. And I told him at a men's breakfast, we were uh, having a small group breakfast this past week. I said, you probably won't be able to keep up with the verse references this week and be able to turn that fast because there's so many of them. And to be honest with you, a lot of what I'm doing today is just reading the Bible to you and making a couple of comments. But you need to get the big picture of who Jesus is. And on top of that, I really think this, the Bible can speak pretty clearly for itself. Amen? Don't you believe so? Okay. So let's look at some claims that Jesus made about being God. First of all, he claims that he and the Father are one. John chapter 10, verse 28 through 33, I give to them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now notice what Jesus said in verse 30, I and the Father are one. Now, to understand that the Jews realized what Jesus just said, the claim that he just made, verse 31 tells us this, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because being a man, you make yourself God. So the very reactions of the Jews standing there when they hear Jesus said, I and the Father are one, lets us know that they understood he was claiming to be God because they got mad about it. They were ready to stone him to death. Let's keep reading. Jesus also tells us this. He tells us that he existed before Abraham. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And by the way, that's one of those I am statements that also is Jesus claiming to be deity. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So there's a couple of things there representing the deity of Christ. One... Again, they understood what Jesus claimed to be. They understood that he's God. They're wanting to stone him to death. But Jesus divinely, even though they're wanting to kill him, is able to walk out and them not do one thing to him. Which also gives us a picture of his divine power. John chapter 5, verse 18, we find out once again that the Jews were ready to kill him. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath... But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That's why they wanted to kill him. 
People say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. But even the people of that day, the Jews of that day, understood that's what he was claiming. Jesus also equates believing in him with salvation. John chapter 8, verse 23 through 30. He said to them, you are from below, I'm from above. You're of this world, I am not of this world. And by the way, I don't think he's talking about the aliens and the spaceships that people tried to use the excuse for DNA showing up on the planet. That's not what he means by that. When he says he's not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe in, believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declared to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me and has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. In John chapter 8, verse 18 through 19, Jesus more or less says this, if you know me, you know the Father. So he saying, if you know God, you know me. He said, I'm the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where's your father? And Jesus answered, you know, neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Jesus in John chapter 17 says that he had glory before the world even existed. That's not a human being having glory even before the world existed. Notice what Jesus said there. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. A human being cannot make that claim. Jesus is telling us that he existed before the world even existed. When he was on trial before the high priest, the high priest asked him directly concerning who he was. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And he said, I am. There's another I am statement claiming to be divine. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Why did they condemn him? Because he claimed to be God. He ripped his own clothes and said, you heard what he said. Jesus also lets us know this, seeing him is the equivalent of seeing God. John chapter 12, verse 44 through 45, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. And then in chapter 14, verse 7, it says, if you have known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Now you see, in all those references I'm reading you, that's Jesus making divine claims. That's Jesus saying that I am God. But there are others that also said things about him being God. They gave testimony of the deity of, of Christ. John, to start with, in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, we actually read some of these verses last week, uh, talking about creation. But it says this, in the beginning was the Word. That's talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word, Jesus, was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was a light of men. Later on in the same chapter, it said, And the Word became flesh. Talking about the incarnation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, talking about John the Baptist, there bore witness about him and cried, This was of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Once again, a claim to the deity of Christ. And then in verse 18 of that same chapter, it says this, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Talking about Jesus. When Jesus asked his disciples one time, what are people saying about me? Who do people think that I am? And they gave various answers. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? Here is what Peter said. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And I want you to notice something. When Peter said that, Jesus did not say, now, wait a minute, Peter, don't be calling me God. That's not the case. Don't be saying I'm really the son of God. Instead, Jesus commended him and he said, you know what? That's right. And God revealed it to you. So there's a lot of instances where others let us know that, that Jesus is God. John chapter 20, verse 28, doubting Thomas. Once he saw the nail scars on Jesus, he said this, My Lord and my God. He clearly says, your Lord and your God, and Jesus doesn't correct him. Jesus doesn't say, wait a minute, wait a minute, don't say that about me. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 we find this, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Who bought the church with his own blood? Jesus. And there he's saying the one that did that is God. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 13, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing, Paul's writing this to Titus, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul is writing there to Titus that Jesus is God. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9, Paul writes these words. For in him, talking about Jesus, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes these words. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, whom though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to hold on to, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he exalted he, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, all that is several people saying Jesus is God. Do you want to hear what God the Father said himself about God the Son? Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. But of the Son, He, talking about God, but of the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. God the Father calls Jesus Christ God the Son. He referred to Him as God. So their words, the words of Jesus, the very claims of Jesus, His words Himself, say that He is God. Words of others testify that he is God. But you know, words are kind of easy, aren't they, to say. You can make claims, but you have to kind of back up the claims. 
So we need not just to look at the words of Jesus, we need to look at the works of Jesus. Because the works of Jesus also clearly communicate to us that He is God. Like I said, anybody can claim to be God. There are other people in history that have said, I'm God, or I'm the Messiah. There's some people walking around on the planet today that are claiming to be the Messiah or claiming to be God. It's not a unique thing that that happens, that someone will claim they, in fact, are God. But you see, we have to back it up with credentials. If I were to say to you, I am God, in about five minutes, it wouldn't take maybe that long for you to disprove (laughs) that I'm not God. If you were to say you're God, it probably wouldn't take more than five minutes for me to discredit you and say that you are not God. But Jesus, on the other hand, backs up the claims of deity with his credentials to prove that he is God. Credential number one is his sinless character. The fact that he never, ever sinned whatsoever. Now, is there anyone here that can honestly say this morning, raise your hand and say, you know what? I'm perfect. I have never, ever sinned. I don't think any of us can do that. Matter of fact, that's the first place I go when I'm talking with children. We'll have vacation Bible school invitations we give to children and sometimes children come up just because they see their friends coming up so when we talk to them individually after a child comes up one of the first things I talk to them about is this do do you know what a sin is and sometimes they'll say oh no I don't understand that well if they don't understand what a sin is they're not ready to be saved they don't know there's something to be saved from And sometimes a child will say, well, yes, I know what a sin is. Then I'll ask them, well, have you ever done anything that would be a sin? Oh, no, I've never done anything at all that would be a sin. That also lets me know they're not ready to trust in Christ because they don't know they have a need to trust in Christ. However, Jesus was completely sinless by his character. We can read in the Bible of him being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, but you never hear him confess a sin. We never hear Jesus ask for forgiveness, but Jesus continually told his followers they needed to ask for forgiveness. In John chapter 8, verse 46, Jesus said this, Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? And they could not, and they did not, and they have not. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 Peter writes these words talking about Jesus. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. In other words, he never even said anything that was wrong or deceitful. So Jesus, by his character, shows to us that he's God. But Jesus also, by his almighty miracles, give us evidence, the credentials that he's God. Jesus said this, even though you do not believe me, believe the evidence of the miracles that you may learn and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. Think about all the miracles that Jesus performed. The very first one was the one where in Cain of Galilee, he turned water to to wine. Now don't someone start hooping it up because he did that. I'm joking with you guys. You're too serious at church. Can't believe he said that. He multiplied food, a few loaves and fishes, and he fed over 5,000. The 5,000 just represented the men. There would also be women and children there. He multiplied the food. He cured the sick. He healed the blind and the lame. He controlled nature. There was a time when he was there, and he said to the storm as they were out on the boat, peace be still, and it all stopped. 
In Mark chapter 4, verse 41, we find these words, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. He controlled nature. He's the one that created nature, and Jesus controlled nature. He raised the dead on more than one occasion, but one instance of that was Lazarus. The Bible tells us that Lazarus had been dead for three days. I heard an older preacher years and years ago, right after I'd been called in the ministry, and he was preaching that text. Uh, about the resurrection of Lazarus. And he said this, if Jesus had not been specific and said, Lazarus, come forth, everybody in the cemetery would have got up. Because he's God. But he calls Lazarus out. And Lazarus walks out alive. And the enemies, the Pharisees, that were so upset that people were starting to follow Jesus instead of following them, when that happened, when Lazarus is alive and he's sitting at a table in a dinner, The enemies of Jesus say this, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And they begin to plot his death, which leads us to the, probably the greatest miracle and evidence of Jesus being divine, and that's his powerful resurrection. The fact that he took his life back up, that's the supreme evidence that Jesus, in fact, is God because he took his life back up from the dead. Five times, at least five times in the earthly ministry of Jesus, he told people that he was going to be killed, and on the third day he was going to take his life back up. Now let me suggest something. If you throw that out there, if you say to people in advance, I'm going to be killed, but three days later I'm going to take my life back up, and you don't actually pull it off, you can throw your deity out the door. You understand what I'm saying? But he said it at least five times. One instance is in Mark chapter 9, verse 31. The Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. That's a huge claim. If you start making claims like that, you better back it up. And you see, the significance of that for you and me is this. Jesus rising from the dead will either verify or make laughable statements that we need to believe in. For instance, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus was still buried somewhere in a tomb, we wouldn't have any reason to believe that. If he said, I'm going to rise, and then he didn't rise, we'd have all the reason in the world to doubt what he said. Jesus said this in John 10, 20, and I give, into the, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. We would have no reason to accept that and believe it unless he actually pulled it off and, and resurrected from the dead. The Apostle Paul bases his whole argument on the resurrection of Jesus. He says this in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. In other words, we're wasting our time even here today if Jesus is not risen from the dead. And the fact that he took his life back up gives us all the evidence in the world that he is, in fact, divine. Think about all the miracles I talked about a minute ago. And if he is the one that could perform all those miracles, I think that also suggests to us that Jesus could have avoided the cross if he wanted to. But he chose to go to the cross. In fact, Peter, when he pulled a sword out to try and defend him, Jesus looked at Peter and told him to put the sword away. He said, don't you think that I can't ask my father? And he would send legions of angels to deliver me. And yet he chose to die and go to the cross for our sins. Jesus said this before his arrest. 
I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. And I have authority to take it up. Now, the reason I'm reading all that, I want you to get this understanding. People clearly understood that Jesus had said, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to take my life back up. It wasn't a hidden thing. Jesus had walked around publicly saying it. And they were so scared that it would be pulled off to be made to look like he really raised from the dead. They even came up with their own lies to try and cover it when it happened. They clearly knew that Jesus had made the claim. And yet, people come up with some excuses. So let's talk about those excuses for for a moment. So after they put Jesus in in the tomb, let me give you a little bit more background. They they put... uh, a Roman guard around the tomb. Now, you, most of you know that. What you may not realize is that guard that was placed around the tomb was an elite guard, an elite group of Roman soldiers. Now, to help you equate that in your mind in contemporary terms, it would be the equivalent of us having a tomb sealed and we decided we're going to put the Navy seals there, you know, to guard it. If they were negligent and didn't guard the tomb, they could have been put to death themselves. There was a Roman seal that was put there. Anyone breaking that Roman seal would have been put to death also. So factor that in. And now let's look at some of the excuses. First one is, well, the disciples stole his body. That's the lie the religious crowd started in that day and time when they started saying Jesus has been risen from the dead. When that news got out, they said, well, we need to make something up. Let's go and tell people his disciples stole him away. Now back up to what I just said a moment ago. <laughs> The disciples were a group of fishermen and tax collectors, common people, kind of like that. Do you think if they knew an elite group to contemporize it in your mind like the Navy SEALs was guarding that tomb, do you think those fishermen and the tax collector are going to say, you know what, let's go and open the tomb and steal his body? I mean, honestly, if I were to tell you there's some place that's really hard, heavily guarded this evening by the, by the Navy SEALs, and yet I want you to go with me, we're going to go and we're going to break in through the Navy SEALs and we're going to steal what's there. How many of you are going to sign up to go? See, that, that would be the equivalent of what's taking place. So the disciples didn't steal his body. Another argument is this. Well, maybe the authorities moved his body. But you see, the, the authorities, they were wanting to get rid of him. Him being in a tomb was a good thing. And if the authorities did have his body, when news started getting out that people believed he was risen from the dead, here's what the authorities would have done. They would have paraded his body through the streets and have completely crushed any of the claims of his resurrection. Because they wanted him to be dead. They wouldn't hide his body. Another one is the swoon theory. I've always kind of like this one, the silliness of it. They said Jesus didn't really die, even though there was a sword that was thrust through his heart after he died, and the blood and the water came out. They said, well, he really didn't die. What happened was he, he just kind of passed out, and then when they put him in the tomb, the coolness uh, and the dampness of the tomb uh, caused him to revive, and then he, and then he, uh, he just went on to live. Problem is, you've got the Roman guard there still to deal with too. You understand that? That elite group of Roman guards. So that's some excuses that people come up with. 
But you also have to factor this in, and that is that Jesus was seen alive by many because in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He presented Himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So many people saw Him on the other side of the resurrection. And right here, independent and separate of each other, were tortured and killed. It's not like they caught the whole group of disciples together and the disciples were thinking, well, they might kill us, but we're still going to keep telling a lie that he's alive. You understand that? Where they would have the moral support of each other. That's not what happened. What happened over a period of years, they were individually, eventually arrested for saying that Jesus was risen, that Jesus was God, that Jesus was the Messiah. They were individually arrested and tortured and killed. Now, here's what I would suggest to you. A person will not die for what they know up front is a lie. If we were to get a firing line set up to take your life and put you in front of that execution squad and you had been going around telling a lie, and we were to tell you, all right, now it's time for you to fess up. You tell us that what you've been telling is a lie, or we're going to kill you. If you knew it was a lie, what are you going to do? You're right. <laughs> Don't shoot me. And yet the disciples sealed what they believed in the testimony of their own blood. Them believing that, that he is the Messiah, that he is God. It is Jesus God. We have the evidence of the words that he said and the evidence that others said, including God himself, God the Father, calling him God. We've got the, the works. We have his, his sinless character. We've got all the, the, the mighty miracles that he performed. We've got him raising himself from the dead. All of that points logically toward the fact that he's God. But here's one last one that I want you to think about. The worship of Jesus confesses that he's God. You see, all through the New Testament, we find evidence of Jesus being worshipped by others. What we don't find is Jesus telling them, no, that's wrong, don't worship me. And yet time and time again, he accepted worship from others. Now, you've got to factor in a couple of things. Number one... The people that were worshiping him had been taught as Jewish children. It had been ingrained into their mentality that there's only one God and you only worship the true and the living God. Exodus says this, For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Psalm 148 and verse 13 says, Let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above the earth and heaven. So all the followers of Jesus, all his disciples having been raised in the Jewish faith would have been taught that. Jesus himself was aware of it because Jesus, when he was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. So factor that into what I'm about to read. Because they clearly understood you only worship God. Now, let's look at Matthew 14, 33. 
And those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, you're the Son of God. That particular instance is when Jesus was walking on the water uh, during the storm, and Peter said, ask me to come to you. And Peter started out, and he was fine as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. The moment he started looking at the storm and took his eyes off Jesus, he started to sink. Jesus reached over, got Peter by the hand, and they both walked above the storm, above the waves, into the boat. That's pretty impressive, I think. And when they got in the boat, the other disciples, they, they, they worshipped him because of what they had just seen. Matthew 28, verse 9 and 10 says this, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came out and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid, and go and tell my brothers uh, to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So, so there, Jesus is accepting their worship. He doesn't tell them not to do it. Later on in that same chapter, verse 16 and 17, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. Luke chapter 24, verse 50 and 50 through 53. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them, and was carried up into heaven, talking about the ascension of Christ. And they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple praising God. John chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And this is talking about the blind man that Jesus healed. And they brought him in the synagogue, and they questioned him, and then they cast him out. Jesus heard they had cast out this blind man that he had healed. And having found him, having found the blind man, Jesus said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And then this blind man responded like this. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. Him. Did you notice in not any of those instances did Jesus ever say, don't worship me? Instead, he accepted the worship of others. Never did he ever say, don't worship me. And you see, Jesus understood, the disciples understood you were only to worship God. That's why I gave you that background a moment ago. If Jesus had not been God, Jesus would have done what the angel did in Revelation. You remember the instance there when, when uh, John comes up and he kneels before an angel and he starts to worship him. And the angel said, don't do that. You know why he said don't do that? Because the angel wasn't God. But Jesus was worshipped over and over again by people in the New Testament. But Jesus never, ever rebuked them and said, don't worship me. So our question today is this, is Jesus God? And I think logically, if we look at the words that he said and the words that others said about his deity, and if we'll look at the works, the credentials that backed up the claims of Christ, especially the one where he took his life back up after he said he would, and if we'll look at the evidence of other people worshiping him, we'd have to come to the conclusion, the logical conclusion that Jesus Christ is God. C.S. Lewis, and those of you that are involved in small groups, you will, uh, you'll see this on the videotape today. I was already aware of it years ago. Uh, not necessarily that C.S. Lewis said it, but there have been other people that have said it. But C.S. Lewis says this. He, he said you've only got kind of three options when you start thinking about who Jesus is. And there's really four options. But he said three. Here's your options. Number one, he's a liar. In other words, what Jesus said was untrue. He was just lying all the time about who he was. 
Number two, he was a lunatic. Number one, he's a liar. Number two, he's a lunatic. In other words, he's crazy. See, if someone goes out here in public culture and starts saying, I'm God, what, what would you think? I mean, if you're walking along the street corner and, and there's some street preacher out there on the corner and you stop and listen for a morning and he starts saying, I am God, what would you think? Man, that's a crazy person. He's a lunatic. He, he's, he, doesn't, even know, he, don't, he doesn't even deal in reality. Third choice is he's a legend. And that means either he didn't really exist and people just made him up, or he did exist, he's a real person, but his followers made up all this miracle stuff and everything just to expand how great he is and to make it look like he's greater than he really was. The fourth option is he's really who he says to be, that he's the Lord. Now, I want to walk you back through all of those four options just for a moment. Option number one, he's a liar. Here's a problem with that. Universally, it's accepted that Jesus Christ was a good person. If someone, by their character, all they ever do is go around spouting lies, especially lies like I'm God, (laughs) that's not a good person. So you kind of have to do away with that excuse. He was a lunatic. Universally accepted, even by other religions. Islam even says that Jesus was a great teacher, a great prophet. So even people that don't accept the fact that he's a Messiah, they will say he was a good teacher, he was a great teacher, he's a great prophet. You don't say that a lunatic is a great teacher, especially when he goes around claiming he's God. So I think you have to delete that as an option. He's a legend. We've already proved he's real. Even secular documents say that he's real. And when you factor in that his disciples died for what they believed, I think you have to cross out that option. Which leaves us with that he is who he said he is. He's the Lord. Now, why is that important? For this reason. If Jesus is who he said he is, if he is God in the flesh, if he's the Lord, that means you have to deal with him on a personal basis in your life, and you're accountable to him, and you'll stand before him one day. That's why it's very important that you understand who he is, because you will have to give an account one day to him. Why did Jesus do this? Why did he come in human form and suffer on the cross? Jesus said, I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. See, he wants you to have the type of life God wants you to have right now. Right now. That doesn't mean you go ignoring what he wants for your life. It means you do what he wants for your life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus came and went to the cross to bear our sin upon Himself. He paid the punishment for our sin, so we don't have to pay it. And through Him, we can have everlasting life. We're talking about why it's important that Jesus be God. One, maybe the most important reason is this, that Jesus has to be God. Because if he's not God, that means his death would not have been sufficient to pay the penalty for the sins of the whole world. And that leaves us without hope. In other words, if Jesus was just a man, he could not pay for the sins of all mankind if he's just a man, if he's just human. 1 John 2, 2, he's a propitiation for our sins. In other words, he's a payment for our sins. And not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If he was just a created being, if he was just human, he couldn't pay for our sins. 
Only God can do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, He, God the Father, made Him, God the Son, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, who was completely perfect. We talked about His character earlier. So that in Him, in Jesus, through faith in Him, we might become the very righteousness of God. That's why it's important Jesus is who He claims to be. Only God Himself could pay the price for our sins. Not another human being because they would be a sinner just like us. Is Jesus Christ God? I think if you'll be logical. You say, well, you didn't give me any scientific evidence. I don't think I need to if you'll be logical today. And you'll think about what he said about himself, what others said about him, the miracles that he performed, raising himself from the dead, and the fact that he accepted worship. There's an empty tomb today. I think all those things logically point to the fact that He's God. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. I recognize today there may be someone here that has never, ever received Christ as their Savior. Maybe you've doubted who Jesus is. And today, if that's been made clear, I know I covered a lot of scriptures and I gave you just kind of big picture stuff about who Jesus is. But if today that's helped you increase your faith, help you understand that Jesus, in fact, is, in fact, who he said he was and that Jesus did what he said that he came to do. He died on the cross for payment for your sins and he took his life back up to prove that he had won the victory for you. If you need to trust in him, would you right now pray something like this? You see, I can't pray it for you, but, but here's kind of what you need to pray. And if you'll listen to me with your heads bowed and if you're needing to pray and receive Christ as Savior, will you pray something like this? Jesus I believe in you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I admit that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my life right now. I want to know you and I want to follow you. Thank you for coming into my life and giving me a relationship with you right now. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. I trust in you and nothing else for my salvation. Father, Lord, I pray right now that there's people here that exercise faith in Jesus, knowing who He is. We thank You that You so loved us, You sent Your Son to die in our place. And by doing so and taking His life back up, proving He's who He claims to be. So Lord, if there's someone here right now that needs to say yes to Jesus, I pray that you're dealing with their heart, that you help them to admit that they've sinned and trust in Jesus, in Him alone, for the salvation. Lord, those who already know Christ as Savior, I pray today their faith has been increased. I pray they're more prepared right now to tell others who you are, who Jesus is, without apology. And help us to do that. Because we need to honor the price you paid for us. The price you paid for sinners. We need to tell your story in a lost world. Encourage us to do that. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. 
For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.